0: Amen. Let's give that hand clap to the Lord right now. Amen. Amen. It's so good to be here with you all this morning. And um, I was going to mention, hopefully your minds aren't uh, on the riverbank or out in the lake. Then he mentioned golf, so I thought, well, I might as well go ahead and say it with you. It's a beautiful day. Good to be here with you all. Turn your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 16, verse 20. And um, we'll look into the word of the Lord here this morning in the adult class, Romans 16 and 20. Again, it's our honor and privilege to be here with y'all. We love and appreciate your pastor, pastor's wife, so very much and thankful for their hospitality. Romans 16 and 20, and the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Everybody say the God of peace. Paul says that the God of peace is going to bruise Satan's head under your feet. Amen. You may be seated here this morning. Uh, For this lesson, I want to entitle this, Changing Your Spiritual Climate. How many would like to have the power to be able to change your climate where you are? Amen. I want to give you some techniques or some principles out of the word of the Lord on how to do that. In the Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 4, the writer talks about the Tower of David and that there was an armory whereupon hung a thousand, the shields of a thousand bucklers and mighty men. And these were hanging on the wall there in the Tower of David. and, And hopefully what I present here today is just one of those that, you could uh, take down off that wall and use it in your life here this morning. So I want to give my title here again today. It's Changing Your Spiritual Climate. And if you know the difference between weather and climate, you'll get a picture of what I'm having reference to today. Years ago, uh, my son Austin brought a paper home from uh, his school there when he was in elementary And it went like this, whether the weather be cold, whether the weather be hot, whether the weather be good, whether the weather be not. We'll weather the weather, whatever the weather, whether we like it or not. Say that five times real fast, you'll have the Holy Ghost. (laughs) But weather's what comes in a 24-hour period. But climate is what an area or a region is known for. All climates get weather. Uh, And so I want to deal with how that you can change the climate in your church, how you can change the climate in your marriage, how you can change the climate in your home, how you can change the climate where you work. The thing about it is a lot of times we think that we have to be reactionary and just respond to what comes our way. Somewhere in this building, they have light switches. They're not dark switches because light always overpowers darkness every time. And so uh, instead of us just reacting to the things that come our way, uh, I want to give you some principles here today where you can be a light switch where you can literally control the climate in your home, your job, your church, wherever it might be. And I want to work with uh, the book of Luke here significantly here this morning. So if you would turn to the book of Luke and just keep that open and available. But I want to share something that was open to my understanding um, several years ago. When you study the ministry of our Lord and the gospel of Luke, you find that there was a distinctive change that took place in the climate in which our Lord was working. In particular, when you look at the first nine chapters in the book of Luke, you'll see all the junk, you'll see all the stuff that our Lord was dealing with. Jesus, in the first nine chapters of the book of Luke, you will find a climate that was diametrically opposed to his ministry. There was a climate that was fighting him every step that he takes. And I want to show you examples here this morning where there were battles and there were challenges and there was difficulties. But after the first nine chapters of Luke, you'll find there was a complete shift in the wind. And instead of a hostile environment, environment and, and battles and struggles, there was favorable change that began to take place in the ministry of our Lord. I want to encapsulate the first nine chapters of Luke with one verse. Look in Luke chapter 9 and verse 41. When you look in 9 and 41 of Luke, it sounds like a man that's about ready to quit. It sounds like a a Sunday school teacher about ready to throw in the towel. It sounds like a music minister uh, just saying what's it worth or whatever. But you find in Luke 9:41 where the Lord says, O oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long will I be with you and suffer you? Please, no one raise your hand on this next question, and you'll see why. How many has ever felt that way about your wife, your husband, your job, or your children? Sometimes it's like, what good have I done? I've labored and I've struggled and I've battled and and I've given my best. And and it seems like that it's the proverbial, I'm going uh, two steps forward, three steps backwards. And when you look at that passage of Scripture in 941, it's obvious that the Lord was frustrated. It was obvious that he was unhappy with the way that things were taking place in his ministry and chapter 9 verse 41 uh, just sums it up saying oh faithless and perverse generation how long am I going to have to be with you but then go, go to the next chapter in Luke chapter 10 verse 21 the Bible says that Jesus rejoiced greatly that actually means that he clapped his hands, jumping up and down, and shouting with a loud voice. Another translation, or the King James says, in that hour, but another translation said, for the space of an hour. For the space of an hour, we have the Lord jumping up and down, clapping his hands, shouting with a loud voice. What happened? Chapter 9, verse 41, he's ready to quit. He's done. He's had it. The very next chapter, he's jumping up and down and, uh, and, and just excited. For nine chapters, he's saying, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long am I going to have to look at your ugly face? Then the next chapter—it's whoa, awesome! That was a uh, that was a hail mary pass. That was a walk off home run. You knocked it out of the park. When you look at this passage of scripture, you'll see how quickly things changed in the ministry of our Lord. And I want to skip a few things here as we go on here this morning. Uh, When you look at the battles that the Lord is facing, when you look in chapter 4, let's look in chapter 4. The Lord is in the synagogue. He is speaking and he's communicating. And the Bible says that all the people were filled with rage. You've heard of road rage. This is church rage. I know, Pastor, you've never upset one person, even your wife in all your ministry. No, I'm teasing there. You, you haven't made one person upset, I know. But, but ha- can you imagine his ministry was such that the people ran up to where he was, one on one arm, one on the other arm, one grabbed a foot, one grabbed the other foot, and they took him, they threw him out the door. Amen. I'm sure that I've upset people in my ministry, but uh, i never seen church rage to this extent. And they rose up and they cast him out of the city. Look in chapter 6. The scribes and Pharisees said, who is this man that speaketh lies and blasphemy? They were watching the Lord so closely. Uh, They had their notepads out. They weren't taking notes of of the message from the pulpit. They were trying to nitpick and find things that they could accuse him of. I know of one pastor that in his congregation, he had an English professor uh, that attended his congregation. And every, this is back in the ancient days, they still had cassette tapes. Uh, And and, uh, this, this English professor would get the tape, And every Monday, he would transcribe the entire tape of the pastor's message. He would highlight in red every grammatical mistake, every error, everything that he could find, and he would mail it to the pastor then Monday evening. This is about what it was like in the Lord's ministry. They had their pen, their paper, uh, and they were taking notes, uh, trying to find some way that they could accuse him. They were not listening. They were not gleaning. They were there. They were not there to receive. And then in chapter 6, you find where John the Baptist was beheaded. And there is no verse in the Bible that says that John had to die like that. Look in chapter 8 of the book of Luke. Now we have a supernatural storm. The Lord and his disciples were in the boat. There is no doubt in my mind that this storm was not initiated by the devil, because the Lord rebuked the wind and the waves. There was no mere weather storm. There's no need for the creator to rebuke his creation, but He is rebuking that spirit that was behind the storm. He was rebuking what was going on behind the scenes that was stirring the wind and the waves. Because the Bible says that Satan is the prince and the power of the air. This storm was designed to drown the Lord and his disciples and to wipe out his plan. And then in chapter 8, when they landed at Gadara, Jesus cast out a legion of devils. And the local farmers were more worried about the hog market the next morning instead of their children having nightmares over this madman. Chapter 9, verse 12, the Lord's own disciples begin to sabotage his mission, and they begin to express contempt for the crowds. The crowds that the Lord loved, the crowds that the Lord was reaching, the crowds that the Lord was wanting, his own staff, his own team were saying, send the multitudes away. You know what would probably break pastor's heart? More than anything else is when he got the attendance number today and seen there was no one in the children's ministry's department. His first response would be, how come? And then an usher said, well, pastor, we've seen the teachers out front, and they said, we don't want the children today Send them back home. This is what the Lord was dealing with. His own staff, his own team were saying, send the multitudes away. There's a territorial spirit that says, this is my space, don't touch it. In the middle of all that, in Luke chapter 9, Simon Peter pipes up, and the Lord had to rebuke him because Simon had been an instrument of of Satan, and the Lord said, get behind me, Satan. Now, pastor, that's a serious staff meeting. Uh, I'm not going to ask you if you've ever felt like it, but I don't think he's ever done that in a staff meeting. Get behind me, Satan. Uh, And now while all that's going on in Luke chapter 9, now you have Peter, James, and John at the Mount of Transfiguration, the most glorious moment in our Lord's ministry, and the disciples are all wrapped up in their self-centeredness, and the Lord had to rebuke them and say, Guys... This isn't about you. It's much bigger than what you understand. And while he's rebuking Peter, James, and John, back at the village, the nine other department heads, the nine other staff, the nine other disciples are being defeated by one devil. Then in Luke 9, they're arguing who's going to be the greatest Who's going to get the next preaching assignment? Who's going to get the next solo? Who's going to get the next recognition? And when Jesus was not received in Samaria, the sons of thunder said, let's zap them. And the Lord said, you don't know what spirit you are of. He said, the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to seek and to save the lives of men. When you have a spirit that wants to destroy, a spirit that wants to crush, it is not of God because a bruised reed he will not break and a smoking flax he will not. snuff out when I've made a big deal about all the issues the Lord has dealt with in the first nine chapter of Luke you had mountains of confusion you got demonic activity you got trouble with the staff you have situations all over the place and then all of a sudden there was a big shift in the wind and now Holy Ghost weather came chapter 11 It goes on. The same disciples that were fussing and cussing on who was going to be the greatest. The same ones, the same team of nine that could not beat up one devil are now saying, teach us to pray. Something happened. It went from devils and and beating their head against the wall and and the Lord wanting to quit and and, uh, all kinds of difficulties that were taking place. With all the demonic activity in the first nine chapters of of uh, the book of Luke, there's only two devils mentioned in the next 14 chapters. One was a dumb demon, and he went out without a peep, disturbance, or a problem. The other demon that was mentioned in the next 14 chapters had tortured a woman for 18 years, and Jesus healed her and didn't even address that poor devil. That poor devil couldn't even get any acknowledgment. He just had to go. You had all the demonic activity in Luke 1 through Luke 9. Luke 11 through the end of the book, there is only two devils. The totally shifted. Everything had totally changed. Chapter 11, verse 14, verse 29, multitudes were now marveling. Crowds were increasing. Chapter 16, verse 16, it lets us to know that everyone is forcing their way into the kingdom. Can you imagine, pastor, you pull up on a Sunday morning, and the front doors of your church are totally burst out. You probably think, oh, my goodness, we done got burglarized. But you walk in, every seat's full. People sitting up here on the the, the risers. They're sitting everywhere because they were forcing their way into the church. Chapter 12, verse 1. We find where the Lord turned the tables on the Pharisees and he publicly exposed them. He took the offensive and he said, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Chapter 13, verse 7. He humiliated the hypocrites when he likened them to a fig tree with no fruit that they should be cut down. Chapter 13, verse 32. The Pharisees tried to get Herod to do something with the Lord, but the Lord said, you go tell that fox. Behold, I'm going to cast out devils, perform cures, and tomorrow and the third day I'm going to reach my goal. In pop street culture, the Lord was talking some smack. Chapter 14, verse 6, the Pharisees are now watching him closely, but they kept silent because they can't make a reply. Chapter 17, verse 5, the the same disciples, nine of them that could not beat up one devil... The other three arguing on who was going to be the greatest. A totally inept staff. A totally incompetent team. The disciples are now asking for more faith. That's always a good sign. Instead of fussing about who is going to get the next solo, who's going to get the next preaching assignment, now they're saying, we want more faith. Chapter 18, verse 15, now we find the Lord is adding children to his army, and he called the children his role models. He said, unless you become like one of these, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Later on in chapter 18, a blind man was healed in Jericho, and the Bible indicates the whole town of Jericho was won over, became followers of the Lord. In chapter 19, a major victory took place when the hated and despised Zacchaeus, the local IRS agent, crossed over into the Lord's team. Wow, it was an eye-opener when Zacchaeus was converted because everybody hated his guts. Now let's look in Luke chapter 19, verse 37. Now it says, "...the whole multitude of the disciples... Begin to praise God and begin to rejoice with a loud voice. Look in Luke 19, verse 39 and verse 40. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. Verse 40. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. What was it that changed the environment? What was it that changed the climate from battle after battle, devil after devil, beating your head against the wall, not making any progress to the point where the Lord was saying, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long am I going to put up with you? And then the very next chapter, he's jumping up and down, Clapping his hands, rejoicing with a loud voice for the space of an hour. Now let's look at what happened. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also, and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whether he himself would come. Verse 2. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Verse 3, Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Carry neither purse nor strip nor shoes, And salute no man by the way. And into whatsoever house you enter first say, peace be to this house. The very first words that he told his people to say were, peace be to this house. Did he tell them to say, every devil get out of here? Did he tell them to obey Acts 2.38 or you're going to split hell wide open? No, he says, the first words he told them to say, peace be to this house. He said, every place you go, let the first words out of your mouth be a declaration of peace. He sent his disciples out by 2 in the number of 70 to walk in peace to declare peace and to live in peace you thought I was going to share with you something powerful I just did look in Luke chapter 10 verse 17 through 21 remember they were only told 5 words to say And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. What were the five words they were told to say? Peace be to this house. I'm sure they said other words. They didn't quote any theology because the Bible wasn't written then. But he said, Uh, Uh, The devils are subject to you and all you're doing is proclaiming peace. The next verse that he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. They were going about saying, peace be to this house while they were preaching peace while they were talking peace, while they were operating in peace, the Lord said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. You want to see Satan fall like lightning from heaven here in Lincoln, Arkansas? Everywhere you go, be a pur- pur- purveyor of peace. Peace. Almost said another word instead of purveyor. Everywhere. My wife was about freaking out over there. (laughs) You all right? (laughs) Everywhere you go. He said, I want you to be a peaceful person. Everywhere you go, I want you to be a, a person of love. Everywhere you go, refusing to get upset. Refusing to get hurt, refusing to get offended. And the Lord said, I was watching uh, what's taking place in the spiritual world because everywhere this t- uh, 35 pairs were going talking peace, operating in peace, living in peace. The Lord said, in the spiritual realm, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. You want to see it happen here in Lincoln, Arkansas? You want to see Satan fall like lightning from heaven? Everywhere you go, talk peace, refuse to get hurt, refuse to get upset, refuse to get offended. Just as it takes two to tango, it takes two to tangle. It takes two to have a fight. takes two to have an argument. I, I pastored this man, and uh, he's the only person I knew that could have a fight with himself. Uh, and, man, he could have some doozies, too. I mean, he could have some real fights. Uh, I know this man, that he would come, he'd tell you a lie, make up a story, and then he'd get really mad at the story he just made up and has some real battles going on. And it was all in the make-believe. Amen. But when I decide, uh, when I it takes two to fight, takes two to get in a disagreement, takes two to hurt, this man here could never hurt me if he tried. Why? Because I want the power of God working in my life. And if I would allow myself to be hurt or offended, I would lose the anointing of God in my life. I wouldn't have that spiritual power and authority. I made up my mind a long time ago. I'm not going to let anybody hurt me. I'm not going to let anybody offend me. Yes, it's going to happen, but I choose to not be hurt. I choose to not be offended. Why? Because I want to see Satan fall like lightning in my life. Go ahead and put the next verse back up there. Now, he says, I give you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions. They didn't have that power before, evidently. He said, because I'm giving it to you now to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. What he's letting us know here, when I go in peace and I operate in peace and I refuse to get hurt, refuse to get upset, refuse to get offended, then he says, I want to give you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Verse 21. In that hour, for the space of an hour, the Lord is jumping up and down. Clapping his hands. That's what the word rejoice there means. Clapping his hands. Jumping up and down. Yelling with a loud voice. Thanking God for the accomplishments of his disciples. He went from ready to quit. He went from one to throw in the towel. To now he's dancing. He's excited. He's clapping his hands for the space of an hour. He's giving thanks to God for what his disciples had done. And all that they were told to do, he said the first five words, the only words that we've seen they were told to say was to say, peace be to this house. I have given you the secret that totally changed the climate in the ministry of our Lord, where it went from Two steps forward, three steps backward, beating your head against the wall. Why can't I go forward? Why can't I grow? Why can't we have revival? Why can't this? Yeah, I guarantee you begin to follow the model that the Lord gave us here. You can literally change the climate in your marriage. You can change the climate in your home. You can change the climate in your church. When we operate our lives, when we operate our spirit and our voice and our hearts, is nothing but peace and love. The turning point that shifted the winds in the spiritual climate in the Lord's ministry is when his followers went out in the whole area and they walked in peace, they lived in peace, they talked with one another in peace. The fight of the church is a fight of unity. I want you to put your seat belts on right now. I need to hear some clicks going on. If you're buckling your seatbelt here, you don't even have to pray for revival. That's a sacred cow on Pentecost. If the body will operate in unity, the greatest revival in the world today is not because of people's prayed for revival, but they prayed, Father, make us one. Father, make us one. And when we become one in mind, one in spirit, one in unit, does that mean we all agree and see everything 100% the same? No. It means I choose. I decide. I'm not going to be hurt. I'm not going to be offended even though I don't agree, even though I don't understand. I want a fantastic revival, and we're just going to be peaceful. We're just going to love one another. We're just going to have unity and all we're praying is, Father, make us one. Lincoln, Arkansas will have the greatest revival it has ever seen, it is when we pray, Father, make us one. The battle for the church is the battle for peace and unity. Need to get our voices off one another, get our attitudes off one another, and walk into every environment that you go into and confidently and in the fear of God, speak peace. Somebody gets up in your grill, don't accept the invitation. Just back off and say, I love you, brother. Love you, sister. Sorry. If you want to fight, you have to find somebody else. It's not going to be me today. Hallelujah. The battle for the church, the battle where I want to change the spiritual climate in my life is when I refuse to fuss. I refuse to argue. I refuse to get into it with somebody else. I refuse to get offended. It's just, I love you, brother. I hope the best for you. And life goes on. Why? Because the weapon of peace is the most powerful weapon that you can find in the word of God. The weapon of peace is grossly underrated. It doesn't rank up there with words like power, anointing, cast them out, take authority. Peace can't compete with that. But the Bible tells us that Jesus is the prince of. He's the prince of. Amen. He's a prince of peace. And I'm asking this church here today to take that powerful weapon of God's peace that's been hung up on the wall of the church of the living God for a long time. Take it down. Begin to speak it into your brother. Speak it into your sister. Speak it into your church. Speak it into your wives. Speak it into your husbands. Speak it into your job. Speak it everywhere you go because the Bible says the devil has come down in wrath and he knows he has a short time he doesn't operate in peace but he operates in chaos he operates in confusion he operates in hurt he operates in destruction but we as a children of the living God have the authority to speak peace And this is where you can change the climate in your marriage. Change it in your home. Change it in your church. Is when somebody gets upset, somebody gets offended at you. Refuse to go to the ball game. Sorry, brother. Sorry, sister. Peace be unto you, brother. And walk off. Amen. You talk about what will change the climate in your home. Amen. Speak in peace is not near as dramatic as getting out the sword of the spirit and flailing away. We would rather go around screaming and yelling at devils, ordering them around. And I believe in that. There does come a time when you must rise up and take authority. But if we would just walk in peace, I wonder how many battles we would not have to fight. How many battles I would not have to fight if I chose to be a person of peace. I guarantee you, Pastor, your counseling would be reduced by 90% or 95% if though the counselee that comes to you would before they come to you have decided, I'm going to be an operator in peace. I'm just going to be a person that speaks peace. 95% 95% of your counseling would be non-existent when I choose to be not be hurt, when I choose to not be offended, and I choose to be a person of peace. I wonder how much hand-to-hand contact with the sword of the Spirit would never have to take place if I would just walk in peace. When I was presbyter there in the Kansas City area for 11 years, 26 churches that was response before I had one pastor, he would call me up, and I mean he would rip me up one side and down the other. After about 30 minutes, I said, hey, brother, what you talking about? Having have no idea what he was talking about. He called back the next day, and he says, well, I had a prayer meeting, so I want to apologize. I'm like, why didn't you pray before you called the first time? <laughs> Amen. I could have got back in his grill. I could have got back in his face. I could have did all that, but it's like, whatever, man. You know, love you. Hope you hope you have the best. Another time he called up and he said, Man, the devil sight me. And I said, Well, what happened? He told me what he did, a decision he made. I said, That ain't that's not the devil. I said, You made a dumb decision. It's not the devil. You know, when you begin to operate in peace begin to operate in love and treat everyone with respect and treat everyone as a child of God and treat everyone with a peaceful spirit, it will knock out 99.9% of the battles that you have to face in your life. Let's put Romans 16.20 up there again. Uh, I am only got four minutes. I wonder if sometimes we make a mistake in spiritual warfare that we rate war higher than Peace. It's not the God of war that's going to bruise Satan under your feet. It's who? The God of, we want to fight. We want to just beat him up. We want to take victory in Jesus. And there are times for that. But I'm talking about a general thing. He says, the God of peace is going to bruise Satan under your feet shortly. You know why it says Shortly, it's whenever I choose, I'm going to operate that way. As soon as I begin to operate as a peaceful person, I will be bruising Satan under my feet. If uh, Travis, if you could show that video clip, uh, I found this a couple weeks ago. Since then, it's been on uh, Facebook. Look at this; these two water gazelles, where they're fighting. Look, coming in the far distance. Look at that; brothers are fighting brothers. But here comes the enemy. Brothers are concerned about what the other brother did to them. They're so concerned about how they got hurt. Here comes the real enemy. That's what happens when we get to fight battles that we shouldn't have to fight. When the musicians could come. When we begin to fight battles that, uh, yeah, go ahead and come on up, uh, brother. Forgot your name, Jeff, brother Jeff. Look at that. As you see, my wife brought out, because I didn't see this the first time, the two that was in the forefront, let's go play that clip again if you don't mind. They're not fighting. Look, they're just watching. They're not fighting. See? They see the danger coming, and they leave. But those that are fussing and cussing at one another, it's almost history. What a great visual representation of when I get my mind off who the real enemy is. Your enemy is not your wife. It's not your husband. It's not your brother. It's not your sister. The enemy is the prince and power of the air. Let's all stand. When you have...